Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Today on the show, we have Dr. Alan Huguenot. Dr. Huguenot is a semi-retired naval architect and marine engineer. He holds a doctorate of science in mechanical engineering and is a nationally recognized expert in physics and engineering science. After surviving a near-death experience in 1970, he has made a 45-year scientific study of consciousness survival and evidential mediumship. He now serves as a research medium with the Consciousness Research Lab at the Institute of Noetic Sciences and with Dr. Gary Schwartz at the University of Arizona. He's also on the board of directors for both the International Association for Near-Death Studies and the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies. He's the author of the book, The Death Experience, What It Is Like When You Die, and is featured in a wonderful film I just saw on YouTube called The Nature of Consciousness. His website is afterlife.pro. And I almost forgot to tell you, he will be one of the speakers at the upcoming Afterlife Symposium, September 15th through 17th in Scottsdale, Arizona. And if you haven't gotten your ticket yet after this interview, I think you just might. And of course, you can go to afterlifestudies.org to find out more about the symposium and to register. So I would like to say welcome, Dr. Alan Huguenot. Welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Glad to be here. Oh, glad to have you. (laughs) <laughs> the film that you had me, you sent to me is just brilliant. And I'm so excited to introduce my listeners to you and, and get to hear your story. All right. Well, um, what do you, what do you want to know first? Well, let's start uh, in the beginning as to uh, what would be I, your near death experience that happened as a young man. I, is that- I was a young man, a college physics major, and I was riding my motorcycle home from a day job I had uh, working at designing engineering uh, sprinkler systems for buildings and uh, this guy turned left in front of me he never saw me and I got to hit the side of his car at about 25 miles an hour but it really takes you out I was in the hospital for 33 days I was in a coma for 12 hours Wow! and I had a near-death experience in 1970 that uh, Raymond Moody didn't publish his book till 1975 right. that coined the phrase near-death experience so of course, their standard procedure is you're delusional, you think you're Jesus, you think you died and came back, and so they wanted to put me in the nut house. But my uh, orthopedic surgeon discharged me five days early from the hospital in order to, to get away from those people. He literally threw my clothes on my lap, put me in a wheelchair, and took me down the freight elevator and out the back door so that they couldn't commit me to the insane asylum because mm-hmm. you had sane to think such stupid things as that you went to the other side and came back. Right. So I always say this, it's very funny this way. Um, in those days, they wanted to put me in the nut house. Now they pay me to speak. Um, <laughs> we made some progress, obviously. Yeah, we sure did. <laughs> and what was the experience like? And first of all, how many broken bones did you have after such a thing? I, in those days, our, our, our helmets that we wear on a motorcycle didn't have a, a around in front of your chin. And so I took a nice bite out of his luggage rack, and I had the all of the upper teeth were cracked and broken in oh. the top of the mouth, and, and fissures above that in my skull. And then um, I had my the radius of my right wrist is, was broken off and pushed up under the skin, clear up to my elbow. Um, and uh, then my my right femur 
was shattered in about 400 pieces. They couldn't put a pin down the middle to put it back together. They had to put plates on the outside and it took about four hours to put the femur back together. And of course, I went unconscious uh, about three hours after the accident because in those days they didn't cut your head open like we do now with uh, the Iraq war. We're going to cut their head open and let their brain swell. And so they kind of look at you and say, well, if he's still here in a couple of days, we'll work on him. Oh, jeez. So, um, so I, there I was, and, and I wasn't bleeding or hemorrhaging. And so they finally operated me on Thursday after I had the wreck on Monday. You know, it's like that kind of thing. Um, and so when they did finally operate, then I'm in traction and everything. And, and uh, it, was, it was pretty miserable. I was in uh, the intensive care for quite a long time. But uh, you want to know about the near-death experience itself. I went directly to the light. I didn't go down through a tunnel like a lot of people see a tunnel. And uh, the, to me, this is very interesting. Most near-death experience people tell you about going, and then when they come back, they say, suddenly I was back in my body. Well, I can't remember going, but I can certainly remember coming back into the body. And so only two or three of us that have gotten some really good stuff, one is Peach and Matt Water has some pretty good stuff on returning to the body. Uh-huh. And both of us, we remember coming, I remember coming through flames, you remember coming through sparklers. And and we think that as you return, that that's your extra intelligence or whatever you want to say, it annihilating in the as you come back into 3D. And from 40 or wherever we are, we're coming back into this environment and, and that extra intelligence or or the, the extra knowledge that you have. Because if you talk to near-death experiences, we have all kinds of knowledge on that side. We come back here and we feel limited. Right. And that's what it is. And so... Um, Thoth Hermes, uh, you know, 6,000 years ago said, the soul is encased in flames, and yes, it is. So anyway, we come back in, and I remember slamming back into the body, coming in somewhere near the head, and just wham, you're back into this this existence, this painful existence. And the, it wasn't my injuries. It was the, the pain of, of the feelings of this physical existence. We're, if you push your two fingers together, you feel the two fingers touching each other. Keep pushing and it starts to hurt. Mm-hmm. Everything that you feel in this universe is pain. That's what you feel. You know, we call it emotions or feelings, but it's all pain, just different levels of it. And so I slam back into the body. Ah, I'm back in this thick, dense, awful place. Being with the light over there, hey, it was home. I'd, I'd known the light for a thousand years. It's like... Hey, I'm, you know, no introductions. I know this light. The light knows me. That's us. You know, we are me, you know. And then all of a sudden I'm back here. And that's why some near-death experiencers say to the ERs, uh, you know, the EMTs that, that have uh, revived them, they say, why'd you do that? I, I liked where I was. Mm. You know, uh, we really don't want to come back. And um, yet when we do, we don't commit suicide because we know that the, the message we got while we were over there was, you can't come here till you finish what you're doing there, which means if we were to commit suicide and have a, a body that wasn't viable, we'd have to be born again and come back through another little baby's body and, and you know, have another lifetime in order to finish our destiny, whatever that is. So we're convinced that we need to finish it so we can stay over there. We mm. go back very badly, but we don't go back early. And so... Uh, that tells me a lot about this side. And so there I am, you know, 21 years old, and I'm a, a, a college student, and and I know all about this. And I know that this this whole universe that we don't even think about. And I'm studying Newtonian physics in the little box that 
that we have. And I made my whole career in hydrodynamics and everything else using Newtonian physics. But all the time I knew we, this, this huge universe is out there. It's much bigger. And then one day in 1998, they put up the Hubble telescope, and they began to see that the universe was expanding faster and faster instead of slowing down as they had previously thought, mm -hmm. down due to gravity. And then the only explanation they have is dark energy and dark matter. And then when they sit right down to think about it, they say, well, we can see light energy, which is 4% of the universe, and we cannot discern 96% of the universe. And then those same materialist scientists, with all that hubris of not knowing 96% of what there is out there, will say, but we're sure there's no afterlife in the 96% we don't know what it is. Right. And I, I always laugh at that. I say, you, you idiots, mm -hmm. you know. You don't ninety six percent. You don't know, but you're positive that things you don't want and don't like aren't out there. Mm. Okay, so why don't they like it and not want it? Because they still, though they quit believing in Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and God, yeah, they still believe in hell. And if we allow a conscious universe, they're going to catch hell. And that's why they're so militant against us. They forgot to forget hell. Interesting. Okay? Yeah. yeah. As they grew up, they they forgot about the Easter Bunny. They forgot about Santa Claus. They forgot about God. But they forgot to forget about hell and all the stuff they were taught as a little child. And they're going to catch hell if they allow us to have a conscious universe. But we know there isn't a hell. So what's the worry? But they don't listen to us. Right. Yeah. So um, that's kind of what it was like. And I come back and the, the psychiatrist says to me, but you know, you couldn't, you're not Jesus. You didn't die and come back. I said, no, I don't know that Jesus did that either. But um, I did this. I went over there and I came back. And so I then I finally said to him, look, I said, I've been to Mexico. You haven't. You claim Mexico is not there. Um, why don't you come along with me and discover Mexico? You know? Yeah, great way of putting it. Sure. Yeah. He, well, that made him mad. I, I told him, I said, you're, I, I respect your degrees and everything else, but you haven't been to Mexico. And so he wanted to put me in the nut house really badly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing I, so I learned, uh, and I came back, and and I was very empathetic, and I could feel everybody in the room and what they were thinking and what they were doing, and I just had to learn to close up and fold up and not be involved and not feel what they were doing over there. And then when I got near retirement, about 2006, I said, ah, now I can study mediumship. And I started to open up again because, you know, I could, I could feel all that stuff. And I just opened it all up again and started going to Arthur Finley and having fun. And uh, it's been a great experience ever since. Um, you know, that's a scientist who, who becomes a, a medium that believes in it, you know, and that's what it takes. And that's why all the other scientists have fun with me because I can talk to them at their level and then I can also do the mediumship and then they can test me and wire my head and see what I'm doing. It's uh -huh. a lot of fun. And you've had your head wired. I've had my tested. head wired. And, you know, uh, Dr. Dean Radin and Dr. Arnold Delarm have wired my head with 32-point EEG and then put me in a Faraday cage. And as they're closing the door, Helen, who talks to me from the other side, whom I never met in this life, but she came to me to, to talk to me. Helen says, oh, they're putting us in a cabinet. You know, <laughs> you know, she's in there with me. They're trying to show that, no, there's no electrical or magnetic way that anything could come to me. Uh, but I'm still getting the information, so it's, it's just fine. But a cabinet, back in the 1880s, mediums would have a cabinet to, to concentrate their energy. So they're closing the door on the Faraday cage, and I'm inside there, and it's uh, Helen says, it's a cabinet, Alan. And I say, yeah, that's right, Helen. You know, and, and so I go into an altered state, and they were having me look at pictures of 
uh, people that that were the pictures were adjusted so you, there was you couldn't tell what era they were from or anything and they would say are these people alive or dead mm-hmm. and so I have three buttons to push yes no or maybe and I put my fingers on the buttons and I say to Helen okay Helen I'll just go into an altered state and you look and pick if they're alive or dead and we hit about 62 percent correct and um, that's not bad uh, you know usually if you if you're anything better than 50 50 then it's obviously you're not guessing so that's as good as we could get. We were uh, validating a previous study, and I said to them then, I said, now this is not what mediums do, and Dr. Lawrence says, so what would you like to do instead? And I said, well, I'd like to actually give people readings. So we set up a protocol, and the, the 26 questions I ask all spirits anyway is, first, what's your name, what's your relationship, you know, what, how'd you die? I've got a set of questions for them, and I tell spirit, if you don't answer the questions, I'm not going to take the message. You know, I've got to have these first. Because I want to know I'm talking to you. I want your name so I can tell the person your name. I want your relationship so I can tell them your relationship. And if I can have that evidence up front, then I'll take the message. And so the alarm set it up um, with, with Dean Raiden. And they set it up so I did all 32 employees at the Noetic Center in two days. I gave them five-minute readings, triple blind. They walk in the room. I don't know their name. I just get to see them. I look at them. And then I write the answers to the, the questions. And we did very, very well. I, I, to, to, we would unblind the study if I was to be able to ever meet with the the um, employees and say, okay, how much of that made sense to you? Because that would unblind it. They'd say, oh, yeah, you had the right name. And, and then, then people would say that I preconceived it. It was precognition, and it wasn't mediumship. And so we don't want to unblind it. But I have seen four of the employees of the 32 who have walked up to me on campus at uh, the uh, Institute of Neurotic Sciences, and they come running towards me. And I hold up my hands, and I put my finger in front of my mouth and say, shh, mm-hmm. what, 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 what? And I say, we cannot unblind the study. And they just, oh, did you want to talk to me so yes, bad? Yes, of course. I say, here's what you can do. You can tell me if it was really good or if it was really bad. And they say, oh, my God, <laughs> really good. So four of them have done that, including Sandra Beaton, the president of the Noetic Society. She's one of the four. And um, so just to let you know, they got their messages really well, and that worked really well. We haven't gotten another medium to do that. We just don't have any money to study that particular thing yet. But we will use that protocol. Dr. Doram and I and others will use that protocol on other mediums to make it because it's what mediums do. We, we, we answer the questions like that. And, and so evidential mediums get it. You're going to, this is the answers. And, uh, Suzanne Giesman and I, we call that, um, name, rank, and serial number. It's just a list of questions. You give me name, rank, and serial number. I'm working with you. And if you can't do that, don't. And it works so well because anytime I sit down and get to know the client a little bit, the, the sitter a little bit, yeah. um, I will get the names every time, hundred percent. The name comes through the exact name. Here it is in the exact relationship. Here it is. Because that's what spirit's pouring down through me. I'm just open, and it just comes out, and there it is. It's not me. I've done it in front of the, the spiritualist church uh, where I get um, five names and five relationships perfectly done in front of for three sitters um, and who the people were and what their names were. And I've done that with scientists in the room, and they look at it, and they say, how did you do that? And I say, I did not do that. All I did was be open. Spirit did that because the odds are 320 billion to one when we figure that out uh, statistically. I couldn't guess that. Five names. I mean, just to guess a name is a 200 oh, to 
much. I, I understand. It, it's yeah. impossible. It's so rare. But then I've had even people argue the point with me saying, well, then somebody must be reading somebody's mind. Well, okay. So I, I was doing that one. I, I did uh, Mary Franklin and, and I got her grandmother that she never met that died before she was born. And, and I said, her name's Mary and yours is Mary. That doesn't make sense to me. She said later, she said, well, yeah, I'm named after her. But then the spirit gave me the middle name. And I'm sitting there saying, Margaret. Well, her middle name was Mamie. That's why I'm saying, I don't stutter. And But we didn't know that. She didn't know that. Nobody in the room knew that. But her cousin back east had a picture. On the back of the picture, said Mary Adelaide, nicknamed Mamie. Wow. Which we got three weeks later, you know. I mean, we, we didn't know what was what was happening there, but that's the kind of stuff. I'm not reading somebody's mind. How could I read her cousin's mind in New York? I, there's 3 million people in, in the United States, at least three, 300 million people in the United States. I couldn't possibly pick her out from way back there and pick her brain. How would I do that? Well, and that's kind of a dumb argument anyways, because if you could read somebody's mind, why couldn't you read a dead person's mind? That's correct. And, and so we always say to the materials that says that, well, you don't believe in ESP either, so how can you say I did ESP? Aha. I don't believe in either one. And, you know, they, you can't use something else you don't believe in to disprove some, the first thing you don't believe in. You've got to, you know, believe in the thing you're using to disprove something. You can't, you know, that's just that's a stupid argument. Yes. Wasn't there because, a study that was done, too, um, with mediums, whether they were in the alpha state, delta, gamma, theta? Well, yeah. What we're in, in when, when, uh, when they, uh, okay, uh, Gary Schwartz did one of those, and, and, um, and uh, Dr. DeLorme's done one at the Dometic Society. Both of the labs have done this. And what they've discovered is it's mostly gamma. And gamma is what you do is your muscles, your feelings, your – it's not your imagination. Mm. And, and they can show you pictures of this, uh, diagrams of it, of your head, showing you what perception looks like, what imagination looks like, what recollection looks like, what mediumship looks like, and what normal looks like. And they're all different. And – but we've shown that your gamma is what's happening. Your your muscles, your feelings, your hearing, and your eyes are what are doing all the work. And your your brain's not fabricating anything. It's just taking in information through the feelings, clairsentient, clairvoyant, and clairaudient. That's what you're doing. They can show that. We've got very good data for that to show that it's coming from outside the medium. Now, where it's coming from is it coming from a Kashic record. Am I remembering things about grandma? Mm-hmm. I can tell you from my own experience working with Helen that uh, it's an ongoing relationship. She does things that um, uh, weren't there before. This is not history that I'm reading about Helen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Helen plays with me from the other side. And I, I get that. And every time I, every time I go to a medium myself, especially at Arthur Finn, where everybody gives you a reading, um, they'll just look at me and they'll say, is her name Helen? And they don't know. <laughs> or um, she, she's my wife's mother, and I never met her. Okay, my mother-in-law. Yeah. And and uh, but she gave she left a bracelet for my wife before I met my wife, and left it in the safe and said, "This is for Gail." And then when Gail knew I wanted turquoise to to break up the circuit so people can't suck my energy off after I'm working as a medium, uh, the turquoise does do that. It fits nicely in the circuit. And didn't know that. Yeah, get a, that's why we like our turquoise. <laughs> okay, so, good to know. So, um, 
she says, oh, well, uh, Helen had a, a turquoise bracelet. She gives you the bracelet. So I'm over at Arthur Family in 2015, and this medium has been doing it for about 30 years. We're in an advanced class, and we're doing stuff with, with Simone Key, the, and we're, we're having a good time. And this, this, this medium is giving me a reading. She says, oh, and I've got this lady here, and, oh, she gave, you, she gave you a bracelet after she died. How did she do that? You know, and this lady's from from Scotland. You know, how did she do that? Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, well, you know, uh, here's how she did that, you know, because they get the information like that. Well, see, Helen plays with me all the time like that through other mediums. And and uh, she wakes me up at 3 every morning so I can have a, you know, sit down and get some impressional writing from her. And um, I'm working on the soul phone with, with Gary Schwartz. Very uh, cool. We talked to Mark Pitstick about that. We're going to have Gary on in, uh, in a month's right. time or so. I'm on the board of directors of Mark. Neato. I was working with Gary, uh, and Gary had said, here, go get the answer. I mean, this is like a year and a half ago. Go get the answer. I said, okay, what's the question? He says, no, no, it doesn't work the way. It's triple blind. You just go get the answer. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> okay. So I go off to get the answer. And um, Four and a half, five months later, uh, I start getting this, this information for about six weeks through Helen, and it's coming uh, from... James Clerk Maxwell and Max Planck, and and it's coming to me, and and um, other people get their information from David Bohm and other people like that. But here it comes, and I was told in 2013 before I met Gary uh, that I, that that uh, James Clerk Maxwell would be working through me, and so here I am getting this information, and it's all about optics, and I think, well, you know, Gary's working on on audio, you know, and I'm getting all this optical information, crystals and lattice structures. And this is, oh, this is crazy, you know. So, but I write it all down because I'm taught at Arthur Finley College, give what you get. So yes. I write all down and give what you get. And this is what Helen said this day. And this is what Helen said that day. And here's what Max Planck said. And here's what uh, James Kirk Maxwell said. So I get it all done and I package it all up after the six weeks since the end, the end of July. And, and Gary says, when are you guys coming down? Because he wants to see my wife's the Tesla S. And so I said, oh, we'll come down in August. So we, we drive down in August. We get there. We go out to Tombstone Territory, and we come back, and we're having fun. And then Sunday afternoon, we go to Gary's lab, and we sit down. And Gary says, okay, Alan, uh, by the way, you got the answer. So I did. What was the question again? You know, And <laughs> you verified 95% of what I've been looking to get the verification on. And that's why I wanted you, a scientist who was a medium, to, to go do this. Because Rhonda's been working on it. She's an artist. And, you know, for her to explain it in scientific terms are very difficult. It's taken a long time, and you've verified everything she's worked seven years to get, and you've done it in about six weeks, and, and I like that. And I said, well, part of that's because we already made the pattern, and I can find the pattern and follow it. But but it's also the download from the other side. And he says, now that we have the verification independently, and he says, other mediums have got me a piece of each of this. You know, They'll get this piece or that piece, but you've got this whole chunk. And I said, but it's optical. And he says, yeah, I know. That's what I wanted. And you thought it was audio, didn't you? And I, and I said, yeah, I thought you wanted audio. He says, well, that just led you astray on purpose. Um, well, and this is about the technology behind the soul phone. Exactly right. Oh, wow. That's the stuff we're doing. We're talking to these scientists from the other side and getting this stuff. And that comes through Helen. See, and Helen, and, and you say to the scientists, why do you work through us? What, you know, you're pretty famous. Why are you working through us? Why don't you go somewhere else? They say, because you're the only ones doing it. Where, where else are we going to go? I mean, come on, give me a break. And that's literally what they tell us. You're the only ones doing it. Where are you going to use you? And that's why they use us. We have enough belief. And they've told me, they say, well, you and Helen uh, have known each other for a long time. I've never met her before in this physical life. Mm-hmm. Apparently, we've known each other before. And Helen reads me like a book. 
She doesn't come through for her own daughter, who uh, Gail, who can go and see when she's at Arthur Finley taking a class. She can see the spirits standing next to the people. Helen doesn't talk to Gail. She talks to me. And it's like, it's the craziest thing in the world because it's her mom. Right. She talks to me. <laughs> it's like, okay. And, um, and I, and, 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 but Gail can say when I write this impressions that I get, she says, oh, that's Helen right there. I can see that. Oh, that's her. Oh, yeah, she said that. And, and so she can see her mom in it. And, and yet she doesn't talk to her. But the first time I ever got a reading from a medium, um, who brought up Helen, she said, I've got a mother figure here. So I'm thinking my grandma and my mother and like that. And she says she's an architect from Minneapolis. I said, well, first off, none of my grandmothers are architects and none of them are from, from uh, Minneapolis. Yeah. None of them from Minnesota, from Virginia and Ohio and, you know, and Kansas, Missouri. And she says, I'll go back. And then she comes back, you know, 86 year old medium, really great. And she says, Oh, she says she's not exactly a relative, but she's a mother figure. Well, who's not exactly your relative, but a mother figure, your mother-in-law couldn't be anybody else. And, then she says, and she's not an architect, but she draws houses. I live in a building that she drew. Um, and then she said, and she's definitely from Minneapolis, and Helen is definitely from Minneapolis. So couldn't be anybody else. It had to be Helen. I said, I, I know who that is. That was the first time. And it just goes on like that with her. So I'm pretty sure it's her, um, even though we don't know. As scientists, we just don't know. But to us mediums, oh, yes, we know exactly the spirit is talking to us and it's really that person. And, and when I do readings and I get names and, and I know the name and I, I've got somebody's mother there and their sister-in-law that died and their brother and I got them all by name and I'm talking, um, what else can it be except those individuals coming back? Oh, of course. It can't be their memory. Yeah. It it's more than that. And so we're busy doing that and that's why I wrote the book um, – the the the, uh, the new science of the conscious universe. I wrote that book because people have to know that quantum electrodynamics supports everything that we think, and the materialists are using old stuff from 350 years ago. They're based on the first principles of materialism, and those first principles were all assumed to be self-evident 350 years ago. Now, nobody's ever sat down and tried to prove them. And if they would, quantum electrodynamics does not support reality. It does not support determinism. It does not support certainty. It doesn't support, support any of these basic principles of materialism. But it does support a conscious universe, and it does support multiple dimensions. If you take string theory and you look at string theory, there are eight different levels out there, seven more than the three we have, plus M theory on top. Well, if you look at the um, the Kabbalah, it's... Um, or you look at the the older um, interpretations, um, there's seven heavens and then there's God or Ein Sof above that. And if you look at these older uh, systems of looking at consciousness, which are religious, and you look at string theory, it's the same thing. It's just a different way of saying it, whether we do it mathematically or we do it in a, in a metaphysical way. And metaphysics just means beyond physics. And when Descartes divided it up, he said, physics is going to be what we can see, and metaphysics is going to be what we can't see. And we've got a whole bunch of materialists that think the whole thing is what we can see. Right. understand there's this whole other part that Descartes and 
Newton. Newton was an alchemist, for heaven's sake. He was into where, where do we get this information? How do we get this information? Ah. The Nobel laureates who gave us quantum electrodynamics were into Hindu this and good off that. And they were into everything else. And they were not into um, what everybody thinks materialism. What happened is we didn't listen to the German intelligentsia after the Second World War. We thought, oh, the Holocaust, the Germans are terrible. And so the American second-level intellects who were running the colleges but weren't Nobel laureates who gave us quantum electrodynamics began to say, we won the war, America knows, we're the best, instead of looking at saying, you know, those guys who gave us quantum electrodynamics really knew what they were doing. And what did they say? Max Planck in 1900, before he called Einstein to come work with him over at Berlin, mm -hmm. Max said, mind is the matrix of matter. Mind is the matrix of matter. In other words, the universe is conscious. Those guys knew what they were doing. Schrodinger, Dirac. Bohr, all of those people knew that the universe is conscious. We're still having to prove it. 90 years after they, by 1934, they had quantum electrodynamics completely nailed down. It took till 65 for the three scientists to put the mathematics to it. But we already knew that quantum electrodynamics is real. And why do I say quantum electrodynamics? Everyone else says quantum mechanics. That's mm -hmm. because materialists trying to say that it's mechanical. It's not mechanical. It's not physical. It's not quantum mechanics. It's quantum electrodynamics. That's what they called it. Wow. And it's, yes. And so quantum mechanics makes sense to a materialist. It's not. It's a separate thing. It's different. Quantum electrodynamics requires an observer outside the system. Okay, and when you see the double slit experiment, and I often explain that on, and when I'm uh, doing a, a presentation, but yeah. you can and look up um, Doctor Quantum, and Fred Allen Wolf has a great Fred Allen Wolf has a great cartoon of Doctor Quantum with the double slit experiment. And the double slit experiment, the thing that's so important to know, and this was in the movie What to Believe Do We Know? A great movie, yeah. Okay, the 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 photon realizes that we're looking at it and decides to be a particle of matter. Otherwise, it remains a wave. It only changes from a wave to a particle when a conscious mind looks at it. We can record what it's doing mechanically, and it'll remain in the quantum state until a conscious mind, a living conscious mind, looks at the data, in which case it all retroactively backwards moves from the quantum state into the physical state. It collapses the wave function retroactively. We can show that in an experiment, that it requires a consciousness outside of physics to observe the potential and create what's going to be. Okay, when you understand that at a very deep level, you understand what David Bohm's talking about with the implicate universe, explicate universe, and the implicate universe. The implicate universe is the one we don't see. The explicate one is the one we do see. But the one we do see comes from the one that we don't see. When you understand all of that, you finally get to the realization that when materialists talk about the Big Bang, all you have to do is ask them, 
what was here two weeks before the Big Bang? <laughs> they don't have an answer. So their Big Bang is a worse creation story than any religion saying God made it. Right. It's so it, There's nothing to support it. But here's the reality. From quantum electrodynamics, there had to be a consciousness observing the Big Bang to make it happen, to make the wave function collapse into the Big Bang. There had to be a consciousness. Quantum electrodynamics requires it. Now, if you say, well, I don't want to believe in quantum electrodynamics, fine. Get rid of your cell phone. Get rid of anything with a transistor in it because we need transistor. We need quantum electrodynamics to be true in order for you to have a transistor. And we've had transistors since 1947, and they're all based on quantum electrodynamics being true. It's the most proven theory of all of physics of all of time. And so you give up your plasma TV, your cell phone, all that stuff. And so I always laugh at the materialists using a cell phone to call each other and tell each other that quantum electrodynamics is bullshit. Mm-mm-mm. I want to ask you a question. First of all, I was at the Arthur Finley College last week, and Simone Key was my tutor. So I love that you brought her up. Um, she's just fantastic. But I'm just, she really stressed to us the power of intention. Is that tied into this? Absolutely. Intention is absolutely tied into all of this. And what you intend is what will occur. Intention creates the universe. When when you observe, why does the photon become what you want to see? You know, uh, Einstein said it this way. Um, so if all of that's true, then if we stop looking at the moon, it disappears. That's what Einstein says. And yes. If, you, if everyone stopped looking at the moon, it would disappear. It only just appears because we start to look at it. And you say, well, how can that be? Well, we reappear. You and I are an illusion to begin with. And we constantly reappear right where we are. We're a constantly reoccurring apparition. And we rematerialize out of the zero point field, the, the dark energy, into the light energy that we see. We rematerialize 23 septillion times a second. That's a pretty big number. It's got a lot of zeros. <laughs> it's hard One, for my brain to get around this, and I trust it. You and I are a continuously reappearing apparition, and we're being formed out of the universe all the time, and so is the desk and the chair and everything around you. Okay? And there's some collective intention here. If I go to... Yosemite, I'm going to see Half Dome just like you saw Half Dome in Yosemite, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to see the same thing. That's collective intention, okay? We're all going to see Half Dome. But Half Dome's not really there. It just appears in front of us 23 septillion times a second. And you say, well, I can watch a chip of rock fall and off the, the cliff and fall down there and become part of the talus slope below there. Yep, you can watch that. We create the universe. It's the only way it possibly can be if quantum electrodynamics is true. If it's not true, we have to get rid of the cell phones and the plasma TVs and and just about everything we do. So it is true. So if it's true, then that has to be true too. It This is a beautifully orchestrated illusion. Well, even if you get down to us in a molecular, cellular, atoms within us, I mean, there's no matter there. Isn't it just vibrating energy? It's just a vibrating thought. So, There's nothing there. It's just a piece of consciousness. And that's where we go with string theory. In string theory, we try to explain string theory. We say, think about a string vibrating without a string being there. So when you try to picture that, what have you got? Nothing. You've nothing. Got 
you got a thought there. It's a nothing. There's just a consciousness there. That's all there is. And so when you watch the photon, just a, a part of the universe saying, uh-oh, she's looking at me. I got to become matter, which you see in the double slit experiment. You realize that the photon is conscious. Okay, the photon knows you're looking. I mean, it, the photon is conscious. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so if the photon is conscious, we have to live in a conscious universe. And the materialists will say, oh, I can't stand it. My brain hurts. No, it can't be. My brain hurts. I can't take this in, you know. Well, take it in. It's real. <laughs> That's what it is. And I, as I say in my book, the luckiest thing that ever happened to me was I got killed in a motorcycle wreck. Yes. Luckiest thing that ever happened because it opened me up to the other side. Otherwise, I'd probably be one of those stupid scientists arguing. Uh, and when you first started studying, didn't you do a, like an at-home study course before you went to the Arthur Finley College? I went. I took uh, uh, Morris Pratt, the, the spiritualist church in the United States, uh, has the Morris Pratt Institute. It's about 100 years old. And they have a very good uh, curriculum. Honestly, they've upgraded it many times. But they've been teaching uh, spiritualism for 100 years, uh, healing, mediumship, and how to be a spiritualist minister all at once. And so I... Well, I was afraid of things, you know, I mean, I grew up in a fundamentalist Baptist family and, you know, to, to do a seance or, you know, you're talking to the devil, according to them. My right. sister thinks I've gone to the devil and she prays for me every day, um, you know, because I'm a medium. She thinks <laughs> that there's no devil, but she thinks I've gone to the devil. And, and she's entitled in her to her opinion, right? Yeah. And so I was afraid. To study, to so I said, well, maybe I can take this correspondence course. So I took their correspondence course, and I spent um, about six years getting through that. It's a four-year course. <coughs> Finally, to finish it, I took a cruise for thirty-five days so that I would have enough time to get through the last ten lessons, and get done. And then I got up on the platform. hadn't been to Arthur Finley yet, and the first time I was on the platform in front of people doing a, a reading, I almost got a name. I was so close to a name. I had the the, the, the young lady's uh, deceased um, former fiance. I had you know I told what he looked like and everything else. And then I said, I said, well, um, he had something to do with basketballs. And she said he doesn't even like sports. He didn't have anything to do with basketballs. And I said, oh. Later, I said to Helen because I knew about Helen already. I said, Helen, what was that about? And she said, well, the only professional basketball player you know is Jack Sigma of the Seattle Sonics and I was trying to make you think basketball so that you could say his name which was Jack I went back and asked the girl uh, three weeks later what was your boyfriend's name she said Jacques ah almost got it I just I should have just been a little more patient with myself and I could have said Jack the first time I ever gave a reading but I didn't and I hadn't been Arthur Finney yet I've gone to Arthur Finney to study and get it right but that's how good Helen is with me she can dig things up out of my mind and my feelings and I do it all clairsentient. I don't hear anything. I don't see anything. And if you can explain to me how I feel a name, nobody can quite explain that to me. I'm clairsentient, but I, I feel names. Oh, that's incredible. Now, do all mediums have a Helen? Is there a middleman? There's seems to be, whether they know it or not, there's a middleman. And the way the reason that is for spirits particularly, somebody died and they're just over on the other side, they we think, well, my, my husband or just died or my wife just died. Certainly they can communicate with me. Well, 
No, they have to learn how. They've never done this before. In fact, on this side, they didn't even believe in it. So now they're over right. there. How are they going to communicate back to you? So they go to the medium on that side. And the easiest way to see it is there's four of us. There's me and there's Helen. And then there's the, the sitter here. And there's the, the spirit over there that wants to talk to the sitter. And so they talk to Helen. And Helen puts it into things that fit in my head and, and like Jack and bring it out from me so that I'll say basketballs means Jack, you know. And and, and I will say it. And and so Helen makes puts the feelings into me that make me speak, and she knows how to do that. So she must have known me before because she really can make me do that. And I'll get the right name, and I'll get the right relationship, and, and, and I don't know how it happens. I really don't know how it works. All I know is I do it. Right. And it seems that Helen's making that happen, and she's pretty happy to tell me, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm right here. That's me. That's what's going on. So, okay, then that's what's happening. So it appears that they need, a, uh, you know, they're not just suddenly magic on that side. They're just like us. It's just the next chapter. We've stepped into the next chapter of our saga. And they're just like us. They still have just the same kinds of problems that we have. So they need to get a medium to talk to the medium. Pretty simple. The soul phone is going to solve that a little bit. We're, we're going to make it a little more obvious to people that you can really talk to those deceased, departed loved ones. They're not really dead. Mm, I, I'm excited just to see where the technology is going. I remember being a kid going to Disney World, and and I remember I don't remember what year it was, but someday there's going to be a computer in every household. And I remember just this uh, animatronic, you know, kid, and they had this huge computer and i remember wow and then further on in the ride someday there's a technology and you'll actually it's like what skype is today be seeing the people as you're speaking and i just remembered wow like i can't even imagine and now oh it's become regular yeah we've got our phones nothing to it and so who knows what spirit communication is going to be in the future if it's going to be as easy as texting or who knows what's possible Texting's about five years. We're going to be two years if we have the what we call the soul switch. Yeah, we have that right now. It's very proven technology. Um, we can get yes, no. Um, and with 20 questions, you can get anything you want from the other side using the yes, no soul switch. We detect their presence. Yeah, mm-hmm. soul. We're, we're working on the keyboard, and when we have the keyboard, you can have text. And that's within the next five years, honestly. It's really here. Oh, I've got goosebumps. Yeah, I get goosebumps because uh, we've got a, a TV show coming out in the next nine months that will uh, investigate what we're doing. And it's a very good TV show. And literally, they're, they're showing where we're going with it. You know, when think about texting your deceased relative and then they, they, they text back. Okay, that's the technology exists. We have we have everything we need to do it, and we have spirit that works with Gary and and the other scientists um, on this. Um, and it's coming. I, I can't say too much because that's a okay. lot of proprietary, but um, it's it, we're keeping it in proprietary. We're holding it for the people on the other side who gave it to us. Well, I'm excited, uh, Alan. One of the biggest reasons I'm excited about this symposium is Gary Schwartz is going to be there, uh, and yourself, of course, and many others, but talking about the soul phone. I know for myself, when I started researching the afterlife, I was so afraid of what people would think. You know, they're going to think Sandra's lost it, so to speak. And 
to know and you know for my listeners they know every show I'm saying if you're available come to Scottsdale Arizona September 15th through 17th please come but what everyone's going to find there are really credible reputable people and things that go far beyond just going to a medium to contact your loved one for life after death I mean so much credible evidence from so many cool people including you All like as Simone Key would say to you, you're serving spirit. Yes, and that's what we're doing. And I never charged anybody any money for mediumship. I do it strictly for the science of it. It's not a it's not a game. It's not a, a, a way to make money. It's not. It's none of that. It's absolutely real. Nothing wrong with making money out of it. But a lot of people accuse accuse people of being. Um, frauds and, yes. and and everything else because of the money issue. That's not it at all. It's absolutely real. No one's ever paid me a nickel, and yet I've given them names and and relationships and tell them everything about the person who's talking to them, and then I tell them things that only that person could have said. And I don't know where it comes from. And I always know, I know I know when I'm right on because my mind will say, Alan, where are you getting this crap? Okay, that's what my mind will say, hmm. and when it's really not me at all, it's coming from outside and it's absolutely them. And they'll mention something that doesn't make any sense to me at all. And it absolutely makes sense to the person. And, and that's what this is about. We're serving spirit and we're going to do that. And we're at a, we're at a point where the technology is going to take us across the line. And, and, um, James Clerk Maxwell said, this has ramifications way beyond anything you can imagine, way out into the universe at too many levels. And we're, 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 this is the first crossing of this divide into the physical from the other dimensions. And just the fact that we can detect spirit and now that we can talk to them openly in, in a texted message is, is way beyond anything we've had before. And suddenly... People who say there is no afterlife, this is all BS and everything else. And by the way, BS stands for belief system. I hope you know that. Oh, didn't. Great. BS is the belief system. We all have our BS. We've each got it. And it's our belief system, our religion. And even if your religion is materialism, it is a religion. It is a belief system. It is a BS. Mm Mm-hmm. And they don't seem. They think, oh no, we're 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 honest. We're we know we're 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 not we're not uh, superstitious. Well, superstition, according to Carl Sagan, superstition is a belief without data. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, believing in materialism based on six first principles, which have no data to back them up, is got to be superstition, and it is. Quantum electrodynamics is not superstition. We have a lot of evidence for the fact that the universe responds to your intention. That's good and bad news, right? (laughs) We've got to watch our thoughts, watch our intention, uh, use them wisely. Could could you talk a little bit? Oh, I don't want to interrupt you. Go ahead. If you say, poor me, that's your intention. So don't say, poor me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Love it. Uh, just the world of the invisible. A lot of people think because you can't see it or hear it or smell it or taste it, it doesn't exist. But I know, aren't there uh, unseen things that are around us? For, for example, um, 
You like using electric light, don't you? I do. Have you ever seen electricity? I haven't. <laughs> None of us have ever seen electricity, so it doesn't exist. Right. Okay. Um, when you use a compass, a magnetic compass, it's following the lines of magnetic flux. Um, does it work? Yeah. Have you ever seen those lines of magnetic flux? No. Are they there? No, they don't. Ex can't see them, so they don't exist. And it's like that. All of it's like that. Uh, the only reason that um, they even accept electronics is because uh, James Clerk Maxwell, the guy I talked to, wrote those those um, uh, Maxwell's equations, which put magnetism and electricity together and put them into physics, and they just kind of snuck it in the back door, and all of a sudden they realized, oh, my God, this stuff is all out there. It's real. It's radiation. It's different levels of of radiation. Oh, my. You know, I guess we have to deal with this. And it's all electricity. Is light. It's just light that you can't see. And you have to realize it's out of the visual range. The visual range is this little thin little thing. And the spirits exists in the what we call, call far ultraviolet. And um, it, it's been told to us many times. And if you understand octaves and things, it's five octaves of, above um, high C. You, you'll come to a level, which is a high, the, the far ultraviolet, where they are visible. You just can't see it with your eyes. And um, so we're working with um, deriving a way to see that. And when we do, then you'll have the video phone. That's, the, that's about 10 years out. Um, I have it from the other side that we have to perfect the torsion, um, yin-yang, if you want to call it that, or... Um, left and right-handed spin, uh, any way you want to describe it. Um, ying would be left-handed spin, and yang would be right-handed spin. Um, there's a number of different ways and theories in, in, in history. There's a lot of different ways to try to describe the same thing, but it's torsion. It's not electromechanical. We can see it um, in certain levels, and if it's very dark, and if we're very used to the dark, your, your cones in your eyes can see it. Not your cones, your, your rods and your eyes can see it, but your cones can't. And so it usually looks black and white to us instead of colored. But they are visible, and we're going to do, do the optics to bring it down to where we can use it. Uh, right now we have infrared cameras, and infrared is a color we can't see. Heat is infrared, and there's a color we can't see. It's just below our, our visual range. And so we take a camera and we make the... The, the ultraviolet appear in a color like usually green, which we can see. And that's what an ultraviolet, or excuse me, an infrared camera does. We're going to do that with far ultraviolet so you can see the deceased spirit talking to you. Wow. Still physical like we are. Wow. All that's going to happen. You, This stuff, how we're doing it, I'm not telling you, but it's going to happen. Do you know what? Yeah. I wouldn't understand it anyways. Lots of things you've said in this interview, I just... In one ear, out the other ear, because <laughs> I don't understand. You're but gonna text in, in five years, you're going to text grandma, <sighs> and in in ten years, um, you know, sit you down in a booth, and uh, she'll holographically be right in front of you, and when she says hi, her lips will move and everything, and you'll know that it's her. It'll look like her. She'll be wearing a dress that you remember. Um, you know, that kind of thing is just down the road. Oh, it's real. 
and the people who are investing in it are people who used to own phone companies. I mean, it's you, this is really something that's going on. That sure is. And then Grandma's got to obviously take some training courses on her end, or there's got to be again the Helen or the middleman to. to be the yeah. We're gonna, I don't know how they're doing it on their side exactly, but we know on this side we'll we'll be having booths or studios or like that to do it. Uh, when we get to the texting, it'll finally come in your cell phone eventually, just like now you text your friends. Um, it'll eventually work down to that. In the beginning, it'll be a little different from that, but it's the technology already exists for everything we're going to do. That's crazy good news. Alan, our time's going by fast. What haven't I asked you that I should, or what do you want to share? Uh, any closing thoughts or just the- ask Helen? <laughs> It's really obvious that um, the afterlife is real, mm. that consciousness survives. Uh, the technology that we're bringing forth is religion warping. Um, the religions will debate with us and hate us. Of course. Uh, the will argue with us and hate us. But you're going to see the new world order very rapidly. Because no one will be able any longer to say that consciousness, and that the universe is not conscious, that God or the force, I would rather say the force, doesn't exist and they'll no longer be able to say that we don't have an afterlife and that we don't go on. It's going to be very obvious that all of that is true. We don't die. There are no dead. Fantastic. And these are the people that I want to play with now and in the future. This is the kind of conversations I want to have. I don't want to be around any complainers and victims in life, to be around people that are intentional, going after their dreams, creating them, saying what's next, reassessing where they've been, playing with the unknown. I mean, this is a fun group of people we're playing with here. Absolutely. They're fun people. Oh, Alan, thank you so, so much. Honest and sweet people you will ever meet. It really, that's it, true, and I'm so grateful to be a part of it. And um, gosh, I entice again our listener to come visit Alan and I at the symposium. Uh, go to afterlifestudies.org, and if you can't come, I do understand. Uh, but check out the different speakers. Check out their websites. Check out what they're doing. Get some confidence within yourself that uh, you can share this. I mean, there's life after death is real. Um, and those of you who are grieving now, uh, just know you will see your loved ones again. You can communicate with them. Um, I'm thrilled about Alan's performance now as a medium because Simone Key told me in my spiritual assessment that I needed to go home and practice my mediumship, Alan, <laughs> which I've had a little bit of a fear of doing. But if I have the intention that I can do it and that I'm confident, that's probably what's going to show up, right? Yeah, you're going to be just as good as Simone one of these days. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you, uh, Alan, for being here. And also, uh, don't forget, you can go to Alan's website. you want to say what that is? I know I have it written here. The afterlife.pro. Afterlife.pro, absolutely. And you can always go to wedontdieradio.com. And if you listen to this episode on uh, YouTube. If you scroll down into the description, I do have the link to Alan's books, to um, 
the Arthur Finley College to Dr. Quantum, that video that he had mentioned, uh, and some other great things that he talked about on the show, just to make it very easy for you to find out more and obviously to register for the symposium. So lastly, I just want to say this is Sandra Champlain, and it's been a delight to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. And I do believe that life is an education for the soul, that your life here on Earth is important. Come join us, whether it's in Scottsdale or online, but be part of this community that uh, that knows that life after death is real and be ready for a whole new kind of living. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.